Well, Donald Trump is facing indictment over an alleged improper recording of a business transaction. What the heck is going on? I think it's fair to say that one certain winner here will be QuickBooks. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we will all be paying attention during the next update. You got to get that recorded in the right category. Well, is what we are seeing the modern day taking down of Al Capone? Now, I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump is the modern day equivalent of Al Capone. I guess I'm not not saying it. I'm just suggesting that the effort to take down Mr. Big Guy based upon his faulty record keeping has been done before. Well, Chris and I will unpack this and much more in this week's debriefing of the law. Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I'm Chris Marone. And I am back from Florida to the land of the frozen tundra, otherwise known as the Midwest Kansas City area. Hey, and Love so it. I've been di dying to jump right in to the Trump indictment issue. Hey, Chris, uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> it's always good to be here, Joel. From sunny Arizona, where you have, I assume, all kinds of baseball. Actually, the baseball is done there. It's headed our way. This is opening week for baseball, which I am going to opening day here on Thursday. Ooh. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, yep. Chris, let me know. I brought you on today. Well, you're on every week. But still, <laughs> is he or is he not going to be indicted? Donald Trump. Donald Trump, uh, eventually. I don't know if he's going to be indicted this time around, but the guy's a crook. So, eventually, he's going to get indicted. Either way you look at it, like I'm not talking going, about your fantasies, your dreams. Uh, we're not talking about. I'm talking about an actual reality here. The, the look, grand jury, by the way, they meet in secret, so we know all about what they're doing. I, I don't understand course. that aspect of it. They're meeting right now. Mm -hmm. By the time this podcast airs, he On might Friday. be indicted. We might see Donald yeah. Trump in handcuffs, Chris. We got to unpack mm -hmm. the craziness here with this Trump indictment. Well, I mean, it's. So I was talking with my wife about this the other day, um, and I'm obsessed with organized crime and gangs. That's what I did a lot of yes. my, a lot of Godfather. my study in, a lot, a lot, a lot of my studies in during my undergrad, and my master's program, and my and in, in law school, I focused a lot on gang and organized crime stuff. Great, Chris. And, watching Godfather's one, two, and three, I'm not sure that counts as your law school studying time. But first but go off, on. first off, do not invoke the Holy Trilogy. Okay. Or we will, we will. I will take you to the mattresses. There we and go. that's how it's going to be. Um, Too much information. <laughs> Premeditation is what we call it. Um, but I wonder, because I think a lot of this, like, I think Trump is leaking a lot of this indictment stuff. And I'm going to circle back to organized crime. Hold on for that. I think Trump's, Trump's leaking a lot of the or a lot of this stuff about his indictment. I think that the grand jury is like a sieve and it's, you know, it can't be, it's telling everybody what's going on. It's a whole media circus. Um, whether or not Trump is guilty will be something that the court determines. But it reminds me about how would Al Capone have been treated in today's media? Because I've read a lot of books about Al Capone. Interesting. And, and he was beloved in some major political circles because of the money that he would funnel 
into these politicians, right? And it's it's Chicago back in the the you know prohibition era, so everybody was corrupt allegedly back then. But Al Capone was loved by media outlets. He was loved by political parties. He was loved by business leaders and titans of industry. But he was a crook and he was a criminal and he was a murderer. I'm not saying Donald Trump is Al Capone. I don't want to put that that together. <laughs> but they locked up Al Capone on tax evasion. And the whole country and throughout history, we view this as a giant win because we got a, a criminal mastermind off the street. So if Donald Trump goes down for paying hush money to a porn star, that's just going to be a win for this country. All right. So interesting analogy of comparing the current legal proceedings to the proceedings that took down Al Capone. I, 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 mm -hmm. I do hope there are some serious differences here. But that being said, taking down the almighty for a business infraction, that, that is the a similar almighty. situation. And so it is kind of worth looking at. So let's dig into because I was I'm confused. I went digging through all of the various articles on this because, again, it's it's hilarious that when I read an article about the situation, it says the secret mm -hmm. grand jury right, grand we are jury, reporting yeah. on the Everything's secret. Everything's under lock and key. <laughs> and yeah. everyone's reporting. Everyone's talking about it. How secret can this be? That being but said. But also, grand juries are going to indict a hand sandwich, right? <laughs> like, that's the point of a grand jury is to give political cover to whatever district attorney, police chief, police commissioner, whatever. Grand juries are a rubber stamp on indictments. Yeah, we are learning a lot about the grand jury process. So keep that in mind that when we are talking about what this indictment looks like, mm -hmm. and in a certain respect, it's dangerous for us to do because we don't know. These proceedings are secret. They're not supposed to leak stuff out, but yet everything right. is getting leaked. And because of that, we kind of have a general idea as to what this indictment might look like. And so let's start with falsified business records that is the charge in under new york law it is a misdemeanor to falsify business records now chris you can scour all of the articles out there on this topic you will not find an answer as to what that means i have no idea what a falsified business record means i, I know what attack lying on your tax form that's a, that's a felony that's not a misdemeanor mm -hmm. that's not this what what is a falsified business record under New York State law? Well, Ooh. let's get right to what the I'll allegation is. Maybe we can backtrack from that. Okay. The allegation is that when Donald Trump paid hush money to mm -hmm. uh, Stormy Daniels, right, and then it was somehow recorded on the ledgers there of their business as legal fees, that that was a falsified business record. Chris, mm -hmm. I have no idea how. Is that even a crime? First of all, yes. I don't even buy the fact that the way this thing took place, that was a false business record because Michael Cohen did make the payment. He paid it on behalf of Donald right. Trump. So mm -hmm. why would that then not be recorded as legal fees that later on he then said, Donald Trump, you need to pay me back for this because that's how lawyer relationships work with clients. Sometimes a lawyer will will front the money for the client, but then expects to get paid back. Uh, right. It's all out of the retainer. That's how things work. So I'm not even sure mm -hmm. this is a false business record, but I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yes, lots of thoughts. Well, one, it was paid out of Trump's political funds. That's the first problem, right? Once you paid out of the Trump political... I don't, are you sure there's proof on that? I'm not sure that that's the I allegation. Think that's, part of, that's part of the allegation. That's why it's falsified. That's Those are things that the DA is going to have to present to show proof for him to meet this bar 
of falsified business funds. Now, we're not dealing in the world of proof. We're dealing in the world of grand juries, speculation, right. truth social, and the, the modern media machine. So the allegations are going to be the allegations, and the, the proof, right, the evidence is going to allegedly come out at trial if it even gets that far, right? Because I think this is just a giant grift to begin with, and I think that Donald Trump is not going to be indicted for this. And he's using it as a political fodder so he can drum up support from his very small, very angry, very uneducated base to be like, look, I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. Donald Trump is like the poster child of white privilege and participation trophies and um, absolutely no repercussions for failed actions. So I this is I think this is all trumped up charges. But now we, I, we're going to get there. Record. We're going to get there as to why do we think this is taking place. But I want to first focus on the mechanics of is this even a legal violation? And the allegation is, first and foremost, this is a falsified business record. And right. I, I think that our give and take on our, our back and forth in this at least establishes that's going to be a tough question. Whether or not this actually was a falsified business document at the very onset is iffy. This could also be characterized as a as a legal you know payment that then Donald Trump had to reimburse his attorney for there's nothing out of the ordinary i mean we can all can admit that paying hush money is standard business practice for a lawyer we we sign in non-disclosure agreements all the time, which is what a hush money really is is it's a non-disclosure agreement that's standard that's in the legal practice the waters. What's that? That's muddying the waters a little mud. That, no, that's what that, that is. is. Very attenuated. That's almost like my con my analogy that Capone and Trump are the same guy. I've signed a many of non-disclosure agreements. I have given my expert opinion on many things that I cannot speak about because of confidentiality reasons. I, and I can say within the circle of lawyers that I have interacted with over my careers, have never been asked to pay hush money to a porn star during a presidential campaign so that way I look like a family values candidate to a group of evangelical Christians that are going to vote for me. Right. That, that, your take on that, your, your take is accurate. Right. Your, your take is accurate that that's probably why he did it. But paying someone to be silent, that's not illegal. That is standard business practice in the legal world. We do that all the time. And it could be has something that has merit like, hey, I don't want you to talk badly about me to the, the, to the outside world. So that's an NDA or it could be. Look, I think this is a bad false claim. I don't want you to tell anyone about it, but I still think this is bogus. So you're going to do an NDA there as well. I mean, non-disclosure agreements are not illegal. No, but listing them as legal fees is illegal. Because but it what legal. if the lawyer paid it and then expected to get reimbursed by the, um, uh, by, by the, by the client? Are we talking about just, I don't know, six to one half dozen of another? This is not a serious violation. It's a. I think it's an incredibly serious violation. I think it. At. I mean, I know the, you the wanted to know. The the. It's not that I want to know, like the minimizing of the ability to pay hush money to, through an attorney is essentially laundering bribes, and if that's what we're saying is okay by the legal standard, if that's what the law says is okay, it is okay for me to pay hush money to whoever I want, and, and let's just say it's Joel, like Joel knows something about Chris Marone's past, Joel, I'm going to pay you 100 grand so you don't ever say that again. 
that's not legal fees. At the end of the day, that's not legal fees. And if you add the campaign component into it, it's still not legal fees. Paying hush money is not legal. You could pay. You could. You could have marked it as a thousand different things. Expert witness. Fees. I don't you could have know, marked it and consultants. Anything. It's not. Using let me, let me the lawyer-client privilege to in to create bribery is not legal fees. Let, let's look at, look at it a different way. After we file a lawsuit against someone and we are victorious, we then will move for our mm-hmm. fees and costs. And oftentimes, those are just kind of thrown in together. And yes, there is a distinction between fees and costs, but it just kind of gets thrown in. It's just nomenclature. Hey, these are these are attorneys' fees and costs. Here, this would fall more in the cost category than the fees, but I can see how some people could just refer to it generally as, hey, those are my legal expenses. Those are my legal fees, and it, it include costs in that category. This, to me, is not taking down Al Capone with tax evasion. I, I'm not even sure that, uh, even if you take D.A. Bragg's theory and is, and is giving you all kinds of due reference uh, and credence that this is a violation of the law. But I, I can see your point as well from the other side. So I don't know. I, I get and, that, and that's what it's going to be, right? You're not going to get an ironclad case against Donald Trump for anything, right? It's not going to be. I, I I feel like that people need to have people need to have like this ironclad smoking gun case against Donald Trump, and we convict hundreds of thousands of people on less evidence than what the DA has allegedly against Donald Trump in everyday court. Okay, let's take a look now at the second step here. But so the first criminal allegation is that there right. were these were falsified of business records and there's so much we don't know about this. Again, right. I don't know. Is this is this business record something that could be changed on the spot? I, we just don't know right. a lot. But generally that's what it was that in some business document there at this corporation, they classified this as legal fees when it should have been legal fees and cost. I guess. Right. All right, moving on. That's a misdemeanor violation, by the way. Uh, to ratchet it up to a felony, you have to then show that, that was done in connection with a second crime. Well, the second crime here that's being alleged is a campaign finance law violation. Well, what does that mean? Well, if an expenditure or a contribution, and those I just threw those terms out, they have explicit mm-hmm. meanings. An expenditure is when you spend money as a candidate. A contribution is when some other person contributes money to you or, or an expenditure money, money or something else right or something else of value so those are very specific terms but uh so when you make a contribution or expenditure you need to record that as if you're going to make those contributions mm-hmm. in furtherance of a federal election but that, yes. that's another key here then you have to report that on your campaign finance finance filings and so Correct. here uh allegedly this was not reported though i do know you do have time frames with which to report this it would not have been reported before the election in any event this would have been done at the next quarterly you know of uh, filing period which would have been well after the election but that's the allegation is that the the the, the campaign finance laws were violated because this expenditure this contribution was not actually reported two things mm-hmm. on that chris and then i'll like to get your thoughts number one the federal, the the DOJ, they decided not to pursue any campaign finance violation. The 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 they're the ones in charge of enforcing campaign finance violations. The FEC, none of them chose to pursue a campaign finance violation under federal law. So whatever extent this might have might have violated federal law, the Democratic controlled run, and yes, I know I said that lightly, uh, loosely, uh-huh. uh, decided we're not going to pursue charges on this. So that's that's my first take. The second take is 
normal business expenditures that you make, that's not a contribution. That's not an expenditure. This hush money payment, this was the or in the ordinary course of business. This is what Trump did. But that might be a tougher sale. But I do think the, the feds decided we're not going to pursue a violation like this. And so they closed the books on this. So there's two things um, in election law that are often overlooked. One, you have the Federal Election Committee, right? FEC is the governing board over how you take and spend money on a national election level, right? President is a national election. But each individual state has laws on how you run a national presidential election and how you do reporting. Not only do you have to report to the FEC, but if you spend money within that state campaigning, you have to report to the local um, in California, it's the Fair Political Practices Commission. Here it's the sec in Arizona, it's the Secretary of State's Elections Office. So you have to report to both. So though Trump and the 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 Democratic controlled DOJ is like, no, the state legislature and the state police can go, yes, we're gonna prosecute under this campaign violation in the state of New York. So though the DOJ is like, whatever, we're not dealing with this, we have bigger fish to fry, you know, like um, global terrorism, war in e Ukraine, things like that, right? Um, the state can take it over. And I think that's what's going on here is that the state's prosecuting under their election laws because it is in the state of New York where the alleged campaign contribution to Stormy Daniels took place. All right, so... And so that's... And, and, and that's a weak case. That's... I mean, that's probably still a misdemeanor, if that, of anything. And the state election board along with the fec do not have jail powers like if you if you run afoul of the campaign finance laws in this country do you know what you get you get a fine right right and you get and, and the american people get to go man you're an idiot so there's no jail powers under these fec rules unless unless your campaign contribution was murder for hire that is the only time that you get jailed as a politician for campaign finance violation. All right. So the next issue that's that's front and center on this whole right. analysis here, which is why so many people are up in arms over the DA even pursuing this, is the issue of the statute of limitations. So this all took place before the election in 2016. Now, my math is not the best here, but let's see here. This is 2023. That's at least seven years ago, maybe working on year number eight. That, that's a long time ago. And so the statute of limitations has run here, I, I believe, for this one. Uh, it's going to be two years for a misdemeanor, and it's going to be five years for felonies under New York law. Uh, and so here, whether you want to look at the two-year or the five-year period, Clearly, the statute of limitations has run. Now, there is an exception here. New York does identify a couple of ways to, to stop the, the running of the statute of limitations. Uh, another way to refer to it is, is the period is told. And that is if the mm -hmm. defendant was continuously outside New York State or the defendant's whereabouts were continuously unknown and continuously unascertainable by the exercise of reasonable diligence. All right, Chris. Yeah. All right. How weak is it to bring a claim saying, yeah, we didn't know where Donald Trump was. We couldn't find him. Really? You, you couldn't find Donald Trump. You had no idea where to find Donald Trump over the last seven years. And the language here is continuously. Mm -hmm. 
I think, and look, I've said it a million times. Donald Trump's a criminal, should be in jail. Like, I'm down with this. But that is the, the linchpin, I think, of this argument. And I think that's what maybe if the grand jury is, that's what they're going to be hung up on is this statute of limitations. Um, if you were to prosecute Donald Trump while he was president, here's, here's the novel argument. Can you prosecute a sitting president outside of an impeachment hearing, right? Because a impeachment hearing can prosecute a president. Can you do that? Or under presidential powers, are they immune from that because they automatically grant themselves a pardon? Like this is, that's uncharted territory. Like that, that would be something, but. Well, he couldn't grant himself a pardon from a state law proceeding, definitely a federal proceeding he he could. Uh, But yeah, that's. I so I, I do believe that it's that has not been brought up as an argument. It's a unique right. argument, but I do think that the response would be, no, you can't prosecute, but you can at least file the charges. So yeah, you right. might have to stay the uh, the prosecution until he's out of the office and no longer the right. president, but at least you got to file it uh, so within I, the, the time period. So would that, would that be the linchpin, right? Would that be the court coming back and going, look, you should have done... Like, if, if these were serious charges, right, in which they are, they could be serious charges. We're going to figure that out. The grand jury is going to come back and let us know. You should have done it when he was in, when when you found out, right? When right. Michael Cohen was right there, because Michael Cohen went to jail just fine during during all of those proceedings. He had no problem going to jail, ratting everybody out, and doing that whole thing and being disbarred. But then that comes, what, what sort of media, and, and I hate that we have to consider this, but what sort of media world would we have lived in what what sort of absolute crap storm would it have been if the DA in New York filed these charges against a sitting president like Donald Trump? Like, honestly, what strategically speaking, not just like for a new election, right. but as a country, if the DA of Manhattan County or Harris, whatever county it is, Harris, right? If he would have filed charges against a sitting president for this and have a grand jury indictment on a sitting president, what would that have done to the country, not just civilly or domestically, but in the international community? Right. Very yeah, very interesting questions there. And so um, right. maybe these might be, be brought up as policy reasons why it, it shouldn't have been mm-hmm. prosecuted during that time. Uh, all right, right. You, you brought up – so just for, for closure's sake on the statute of limitations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so we go off side, on this – Totally. The other side did argue or is going to argue here that, look, even though it says continuously, it it doesn't really mean that. It just means you got to add the day. So if he was out of state, the days that he was out of state don't count. So now we got to count the days that he actually was in the state of New York and then have that be the determining factor. So maybe the grand jury right now is counting days. I think that's a stretch to interpret this law that way, but that's how they are doing it. And so maybe the grand jury now is just like, can we come up with, with five years of days here? Or if we can't, then boom, we're going to go ahead and, and, and convict. All right. Before we get to the actual conviction numbers that are needed for to uh, to indict, I should say indictment numbers. Uh, one other thing I want to mention, because you just brought him up, the state's key witness. So this right. is all going to hinge on the testimony of one high character person known as Michael Cohen. 
Michael Cohen was allegedly. Who, Remember, it's a secret hearing. We don't we, know who. We have no idea what's right. going on. No, we have no, no idea. Yeah, no idea. Uh, no. he's a convicted perjurer here, and, and so right. yeah, he's saying, "Look, no, Donald Trump directed me specifically to do this, and it's a violation of the law. I did all this at Donald Trump's instruction." Mm-hmm. Okay, l- l- let's take it at, at face value that he's. Re- He's a convicted perjurer. That that's not really reliable testimony. You're going to build your case mm-hmm. on the testimony of a convicted perjurer. So that's just something to keep. My, I'm not sure that even matters here because I think if you get Donald Trump in front of any jury, anywhere, it's not going to matter. I mean, you're going to have people on that jury that are going to want to convict and not convict just because of his name, Donald Trump. Right. And the the character of the witness really isn't going to matter, but it's interesting that that is their star witness. All right, 23 grand jurors are, are deliberating this right now. It takes 12 votes to indict for there to be indictment. So that, that's it. This is mm-hmm. not unanimous. This is just simply, do we have more than even? So will, it, will 12 people say, let's indict the president? Uh, I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts here? Do you think we are going to get an indictment uh, from this grand jury? Yes, that's what grand juries do. Like at the end of the day, I I think in in my long and illustrious career as a lawyer of good merit i think the grand jury has indicted every single person that has ever been in front of them i don't i can't think of a case at least in my purview where a grand jury has come back and gone no there's not enough evidence there's not enough evidence to convict i have heard it said that if there is if there's some reason the um the da doesn't think they're going to get an indictment then they just pull it, don't give it to the grand jury. Say, hey, no, we're going right. to stop these proceedings right now and just move on. So, yeah. It, well, but there's a grand jury proceedings are very clear. The DA comes in and presents, the cops testify of what happened, or the investigators testify what happened. And then the grand jury goes back and says, is there enough here to say that there was a crime committed? That's, That's it. it. Like, 51%. you don't have any, yeah, you don't have any adversarial processes. You don't have anybody to, uh, as a criminal defense attorney, I don't get to be there. The, the the alleged uh, defendant doesn't get to go and and do anything like it's the prosecution show. Now here's something else that's worth mentioning. Just because the grand jury indicts does not mean the DA has to prosecute. Correct. That is not the same thing. And so it is possible right. that this grand jury will indict and the DA says we're just going to sit on this and not prosecute. Uh, right. That is also that is a possible outcome. All right, Chris, I think that this case. If you remove mm-hmm. the name Donald Trump, would mm-hmm. never have gotten this far at all. Zero. This is not a case that anyone would bring. That's my theory. That being said, why is this being brought? Because I am going to suggest, and I, I could be way out there in left field, and I'm curious to see mm-hmm. if you agree with me or disagree, that right now both Donald Trump and the DA are on the same side this is what i mean they both donald trump and the da wants donald trump to be indicted that stands to benefit donald trump who do you think has been leaking all this information it's donald trump why that plays great to his base he loves this base loves it i mean his main theory is they're, they're trying to indict me they're trying to keep me from you i am your president and look at what my adversaries are trying to do that's and that, that just that just uh galvanizes his base and the other side they want to indict him because well he, he's Al, he's a modern day al capone apparently they want to bring him down they want to bring down the giant so i think both sides want donald trump indicted do you think i'm kind of crazy here i no, i i totally agree 
uh, Donald Trump's stock only goes up the more he can create and manufacture outrage. That's all he's got going for him, right? That, that's it. And so the way that Donald Trump, and, and smartly so, has galvanized and energized his base is by manufacturing fake outrage. And pick your, pick your poison, right? Um, right now, like the, the, the witch hunt of the DA, as he likes to, what, is, what, what do you post on truth? Is it called a truth if you post it on Truth Social? Is that it's a truther? I guess whatever so. it is. Well, I don't know what it is. Um, but he he needs his base to stay angry because he has found that if that base stays angry, they keep giving money, they keep giving time, they keep giving votes. And, and he so is he, the center of attention. He is, yeah, he is the, oh, he is the son of that now. universe. Right. I, right. I, I do All think. of it. I do think that is kind of what he wants. Right. Now, maybe maybe he doesn't want an indictment, but he definitely likes the current proceedings. Maybe mm-hmm. he would like if it got right up to an indictment and then he oh, wasn't I think, indicted. I don't oh know. Oh, my gosh. I think Trump would love an indictment because I don't think he'd be convicted at trial. And I if he is indicted, gets- here's what's going to happen. He is going uh, – uh, by the way, you might be right on the non-conviction because that would require a unanimous verdict. And right. I think you're not going to get a unanimous, unanimous verdict with Donald right. D. It's Trump. not going to happen. And he uh, would take it to the box. He would not settle at all. He would take it. He'd want cameras in the courtroom. He would come in and he'd oh, want to yeah. take the stand and he'd want to rah, like, rah, right? That's what Trump wants to do. And he is go. So what's going to happen? This is a white collar crime. So if he mm-hmm. is indicted, uh, he will then uh, the DA's office will then let his attorney know, hey, his, your client has been indicted. And so Donald mm-hmm. Trump then will make that public. I assume we'll probably know within. 15 seconds. How long does it take to, to post a tweet uh, or whatever? Or a that, truth. Yeah, exactly. Is, so yeah. we'll know immediately because you know Donald Trump is going to uh, post it oh, that he has been indicted. He's not going to keep that secret at all. And, and so then he's going to turn himself in at some prearranged date. Will he be handcuffed? Yeah, there's a perp walk he'll have to do. Of course. Uh, everyone is saying. And, and it's, then, a gr- it's great for both sides, right? It's great for Donald Trump to be the next. Look, I heard mm, this bugs me. Um, one of his lackeys, and I can't remember who it was, said that if you arrest Trump, he will become the next Mandela. And I like, whoo, boy, howdy. Uh, there are a lot of anger, a lot of hate in my heart for so Trump because, to be compared to Mandela. Because I don't think this can be viewed as anything other than a political witch hunt. Mm-hmm. You've got to analyze the political realities to see how this is going to play out. And so I think on both sides, they like the politics. Because Donald Trump wants to be indicted. Uh, it's going to help his uh, cause. The Democrats want him to be indicted. That's going to probably help Donald Trump become the, polit- the Republican nominee. And they, can, they think they can beat Donald Trump, whereas they're probably afraid it. of Ron DeSantis. So it's probably going to happen because both sides want it to happen. I, I right. get, at least that's one way to look at it. I don't know. All right. Any other thoughts before we move on to our next topic? Let's, let's just, I have lots of thoughts, but it's, we're going to be here all day. All right. Well, we will come back, I'm sure, next week after he has been indicted or not indicted to see what actually. Right. Actually, once once something happens, I'm sure we'll do an update because that's going to be obviously big news around Huge. the world. All yeah. right. Chris, I just got back from, from Florida, and I do just want to make a, a shout-out here that if you ever are looking for some good quality entertainment, you I highly recommend going to an HOA meeting uh, in Florida. Have you seen that Seinfeld episode where they were down in Florida because he gave his dad a Cadillac as thanks and it caused all kinds of commotion with the local HOA? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
That is so true. That is so true. I went to my first, my first HLA meeting down there in Florida. Period. Nice. Oh, waiting had... it initiated right there in the, the like the heat of all the fires, right there in good old Sodom and Gomorrah of three, HOAs. Three hours long. Yep. I left before it was done, and it was not a boring one. There was talking, there was name calling, there was yelling. I had my popcorn out. I had my uh, my diet, my Coke Zero. I was having a blast there, uh, watching that. At several times during this HOA meeting, um, someone would say, "Well." We're gonna have to talk to our lawyer on that. I, that's lawyer. That's legal advice. That's not legal advice. That's something for a lawyer. I so badly wanted to rise up and say, uh, "I'm a Florida lawyer, and you guys are crazy or whatever." But <laughs> no, I thought better of it, dude. I, I good call, silent. not opening that can of worms. Yes, did not good, want to say I was a Florida call. lawyer. That would not have been a good uh, idea. Nope. All right. Also, I spent the last week playing golf down there oh, in Florida because nice. I'm down there. I got to test out these various golf courses where we have rental property down there. We're renting out. So I wanted my future tenants to know the lay of the land of about course. the golf courses. So Research. I created a little manual for mm-hmm. the little golf courses. By the way, I played on the absolute worst golf course I ever have played at in my entire life. But let's just set that Shocking. aside for a second. Um, do you know, I played some really good courses down there as well. Have you played on courses out there in Arizona during the winter months? Of course. All right. That's what we do here. Do you know the average price that I paid last week for a round of golf with card at a good? No, I'm not talking PGA, but I'm talking. I didn't go to the players, you know, course there, TPC Sawgrass, yeah. but just your good average course. Maybe 60 bucks, 75 bucks. Yeah. 50, 55 bucks is what I paid. Yeah. Average. Yeah. That's a good price. Well, what's the average down there in Scottsdale? First off. We're going to have to take you out of the Scottsdale area. There are okay. plenty of great golf courses. So Scottsdale, we're going to put that as an island because the average is like 235. Okay. 235. But if you go to like Phoenix or Mesa or Chandler or Gilbert or even Apache Junction, you're looking at about 65, 75 bucks if you can get a tee time. All right. Because that's the thing, man. We The snowbirds come down here and they lock up all the tea times. You could usually get something a little like closer to four o'clock because that's when they're all having dinner. But um, like any time between like like 9 a.m. and 2 p.m., you're not getting a tea time. All right, well, it's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So I'm going right. to go down there. I'm going to name drop your name. And gotcha. I'm sure I'll get a tea time. We will not Dobson Ranch. Just saying. We'll get you there. <laughs> all right. So uh, I, I might try that uh, out next year. Hey, I want to throw a situation by you, Chris, to see what you, because I know you, you, you care about this. You've done criminal defense work. So mm-hmm. maybe your heart is going to be, your heart strings will be pulled here. <laughs> but let's say that someone, the cops are doing it in hot pursuit of a, of a criminal. All right? right. And that criminal is in a house that you own. Okay. okay. Maybe it's your house even. All right. And so okay. the, the, the person comes into your house to seek refuge or, or, or you know, whatever to get away from the cops, the cops track him down to your house. There's a standoff. The cops in it. We've all seen the movies blow your house up with all kinds of uh-huh. gunfire holes in walls. They throw bombs in there, whatever to kind of get this criminal out of your house. They cause yeah. all kinds of mayhem and damage. You've probably mm-hmm. seen Lethal Weapons. So you kind of know what I'm talking about when the cops go in mm-hmm. and cause oh, all yeah. kinds of destruction to get the bad guy. Yep. In the movies, we're thinking, okay, well, you know what? That's the production value. So the, the, the movie company is going to pay for that. They're going to rebuild that house. It's going to be fine. But if it's not a made for TV, you know, if it's not in a movie production situation, right. who pays for that? You do. <laughs> I do. As an individual, I like, I. It's asinine. I do. 
I have to, and, wow. and, and your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance does not cover that. So the cops come in, one. blow your house up with yep. bullet holes, yep. puts in some, some tear gas to catch the bad guy. And your insurance company's not paying for it. No, nope. the co cops aren't paying for it. You have nope. to pay for it. Out of, of course, you, you can, can sue the criminal. You can, but he has no. That's money. right. You can sue the criminal. The first off, you can sue the alleged criminal because even if the cops Good are point. mistaking that that is the criminal that they're looking for, and they do all the damage to your house, and I get let's say it's me. Let's say I'm in a house. I'm in my own house. And the cops come in and they 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 mow down my house, right? And we go to court and I get a not guilty verdict. I still have to pay for the fixing of my house. Wow. My insurance still doesn't cover it. My my renters or homeowners or whatever I have doesn't cover it. The city's not gonna cover it. The cops get a my bad and walk off. Well, this actually happened recently in McKinney, Texas. Vicki Baker, 78 years of yep. age, had beaten cancer. But apparently oh. that wasn't enough for her, you know, uh, life situation. She didn't have enough. Um, oh, of course not. Um, Adversity? Yeah. She had more, more was going to come. And right. so basically there's a person doing work on her house. Uh, and so the cops were after this person, tracked her, tracked him down. He was he was then hiding out in the house. And he even took a, a hostage with him or so let the hostage out. The cops mm -hmm. then just ransacked the place with bullets oh, yeah. and even threw some tear gas in there, all that kind of stuff. Caused over $60,000 worth of damage to the house. Well, yeah. she thought it wasn't fair that she had to pay that. So she sued the cops for that damage. Good. And guess what? She won. In a very Good. novel case, the court used the Fifth Amendment takings clause and said, here, because the cops did this, that was a taking of yep. your property to which they have to pay just compensation. And so this was a federal court. So you know it's going to be appealed. I, I almost hesitate that because I, I don't want the Supreme Court to touch this, but I don't right. think they, they do like property rights. I have no idea how the Supreme Court would address this situation, but there you go. There is a little bit Man. of reprieve right now, a first-time decision like this where now the cops have have to pay for the damage under the Fifth Amendment takings clause. Any thoughts? I would, if I was any member, liberal or conservative of the Supreme Court, I would not want to touch this case with a thousand foot pole. A tr like it is so niche and so novel. Are I don't, and I don't think that um, Thomas, of all people, would extend the Fifth Amendment's taking clause to exigent circumstances arrests. I don't know if he would make that I that right. that's a that's a large ideological leap for someone who is such a strict originalist in the constitution but I could also see like Gorsuch and maybe even um Amy Comey Barrett making that jump of that's a government taking if we want to protect um police officers in their qualified immunity right we know that they're going to make mistakes so if if officers go in and destroy a home, um, especially if that home is not the the alleged criminal's residence, like right. if I take refuge in my own home, game on, right? I'm I'm hiding out. But if I take if I go and take an innocent victim, or I go take a hostage of a sixty year old lady, or if I if I run into anything that's not owned or rented by myself, 
and the cops thoroughly drive a Mack truck through it, I could see the Supreme Court saying, no, 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 police. That's not acceptable. Well, let's analyze it. If they are putting bullet holes into your house, if they are destroying, putting a bomb, you know, whatever. Right, whatever, flashbangs, whatever There's a SWAT team in there destroying your house. That is a taking. That is taking your property forever, changing it, altering it. That is a Mm -hmm. taking. Now, is it for the public good? Well, of course, it's that it's that you're trying to track down a criminal which, who is a menace to society. So this absolutely is for the public good. Why should they not pay just compensation? If right. you want to analyze this from a policy situation, it's great it policy. makes a lot of sense. This is for the public good. Why not sh- right. have the public share this expense of bringing this person's house back to the, 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 the condition it was before the right. police took their action? That, to me, makes a lot of sense. Let's let the public share that expense because this is for the public good. Mm-hmm. Well, and also this would temper police actions. If you're running down a guy because he or she um, or they whatever their pronoun is. I'm not really down with that, whatever. Um, let's say that they're shoplifting from a, from a 7-Eleven and you run them into a neighborhood and they run into a house. Is it acceptable policy to throw a flashbang or to, to bullet riddle a house of someone who stole three Snickers bar from a 7-Eleven stop and rob, right? What's the policy here? Because if you let police officers off the hook completely, what is to restrain their action to get what they it's still exigent circumstances right it's in the heat of the crime they have a right to get in there they have a right you know the kid may throw away the snickers whatever it looks like right like this would be good policy because then it dictates and and pun intended handcuffs the police officers from being able to just willy-nilly kick in your doors shoot your dog like do whatever it is that they want to do in exigent circumstances to try and uh, apprehend a criminal all right great analysis there all right well let's yeah chris it is now time to segue into our courtroom quarterback segment loving it loving it let's do this It is March Madness time, and Chris, I have been teasing you. We are going to analyze, since it is March Madness, I want us to revisit the Supreme Court's decision in NCAA v. Alston that deals with, do you think March Madness is business? Do you think it's business? Is amateurism dead? Just a quick review here about these these big-time cases that dealt with um, um, amateurism rules. The NCAA v. Alston, this dealt with whether or not the NCAA's rules that prohibited athletes um, from getting more type of uh, scholarships, you know, uh, aids and grants and aid, you know, different kinds of payments. They're all educated related payments. And the NCAA right. has had a couple of different rules. One of the rules was it restricted the amount of money schools could give its athletes when it came to educating related expenses. That was the issue mm-hmm. in the NCAA v. Alston. And the Supreme Court right. in that case has said, yeah, there is no basis for the NCAA to have this rule. It's a Sherman antitrust violation. It struck it down, and since then, well, all hell has broken loose. So, Chris, right. I want us just to kind of focus on this issue. Now that the Supreme Court has said that the antitrust rule is going to apply to college sports, and we have the NILs now where athletes are allowed to make money, 
based yeah. upon their name, image, and likeness, and the NCAA cannot restrict that. That was a ninth circuit, circuit ruling, and O'Bannon be NCAA. What do we have left, and is it good? It, 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 let's talk a little bit about this. Amateurism, do you think amateurism as a business model, is it valid? Is it a Sherman antitrust violation? Is it going to ruin sports? No, no. Like, honestly, no. Like, amateur. I feel like people hid behind this idea of amateurism to somehow leverage their business to be able to make more money off the backs of people that aren't as good as professional athletes. I think that um, it's a job, like anything else, that anything else you do, whether it's AAA baseball or if it's Division One basketball, you're you have to work. You have if you want to play for the KU Jayhawks, Rock Chalk. There is an expectation of hours in the gym, expectation of hours at practice, expectation of grades, expectation of everything for you to be able to play for the KU Jayhawks. I have an expectation that I show up to work. I have an expectation that I work minimum amount of or maximum amount of hours. I have an expectation to be productive during that time. I have expectations tied to all of this. I would not come to the great Arizona State University Sun Devil Nation if they did not pay me the salary right. that they did. Right. I receive no other benefit. I mean, that's not true. I do receive some social benefits from working, period. But I could work anywhere. If I wanted to, but I here's the deal: there, there's no amateurism market for what you do. I mean, no one would do that if they weren't being paid, right? There, there is no right. market for for amateurism. Um, and I'm not right. even quite sure what what you do there with the right. Arizona State right. but Law we, School, but you have to be paid, or else no one else would do it. They do right. have. There would be people who would play sports without being paid, right? There, there is a market for that. Chris, we would. So let me just analyze this. Would you actually watch an athletic event because the people that are participating in it are doing it just for the love of the sport? In other words, pure amateurism. Yeah, is that a viable business market? Is there a market for that? I mean, the Olympics, right? That's, I mean, you, you only get paid if you win gold medals, silver medals, right. or bronze medals, right? Um, you do that for the love of sport. Um, but even Olympics players are sponsored. They're, they're, they're sponsored through various different Reeboks or Nikes or whatever. They're still making money. I don't, yes, there, there is a, there is a love of the game. Like, um, I coach baseball in my free time. It's right. amateur baseball, right? Yeah. I coach special Olympics baseball. It's amateur baseball. I do that because I love it. But I also live in a society that requires that I have a job. Right. So would I love to coach Special Olympics baseball full-time? Absolutely. If I was independently wealthy, if I was to win a billion-dollar jackpot or for some reason capitalism did not require me to work, I would yeah. definitely do that. And, and I've I would gone coach baseball to some, all day. I've gone to some events where, you know, like let's say high school sports, even junior high mm -hmm. sports, even elementary school, where I watch them. And I actually I enjoy watching them because they are playing – a hundred percent for the love of the game. They, they love right. the game. And I, I, I like that. I think there is a market for it. So when we look at the NCAA, the Alston case and amateurism, I, I think we have to ask ourselves, was this decision driven by this idea that amateurism is bad or 
was it driven by the thought that the NCAA is a monopoly, and so these kids have no other choice? You see what I'm saying here? Because right. if you are, let's just say, an 18 to 22-year-old kid, and you want to play mm-hmm. sports in America, let's just yes. say basketball, well, you don't really have much of a choice. You, you, you either are going to play at the collegiate level or you're not going to play. I mean, there really is. It, it's it, the NCAA is a monopoly, and so is it that amateurism as a business model is is illegal? Is a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, or is it that the NCAA is a monopoly and these kids really have no other choice? I think when you, I think it's a it's a it's a weird like marriage of both of them. I don't think you, there's like one without the other because you look at amateurism that is not a billion dollar business, right? But then you look at the NCAA, which is amateurism, but it's a billion-dollar business. So they're so intertwined. You can have amateurism and have it be for the love of the game, right? There's a park over by where I live where we walk our dog a lot where there's softball leagues every weekend. That's amateur baseball, right? And that's for the love of the game. But that's not a billion-dollar industry, right? They're still wearing the name of their sponsors across the chest of their jerseys or on the back of their jerseys, right? That's, that's amateurism at its finest. When you're at the NCAA level and 20 million people made brackets, you know, and then tw- that makes them tune into your games, which then boosts your profit margins, you're now like you are now in a monopolistic area where you are capitalizing off this idea of amateurism and monetizing it to the level of indentured servitude. Because yeah, I- if I want to get to the N- if I want to get to the NBA, right? Pick your favorite Jayhawk right now. If I want to get to the NBA, I have to play the NCAA game. I can't just play for the love of the game. Well, and the game, we're talking in generalities because specifically they actually could now. That's why I was going to make this distinction between basketball and football because in basketball right now, because they have the D-League and you have Europe as an option, a lot of the top players this last year that would have been freshmen in colleges were not playing at the collegiate yeah. level. They were either in the D League, playing in the NBA D League, the minor league system, or they were right. going overseas and playing for millions of bucks. And, and so yeah. the, there actually is an option. And I think to this Supreme Court, that was a big deal, that the NCAA mm-hmm. has been a monopoly. But the more you see the D League rise up and become a, more of a legitimate option, the more yeah. that you see European play as being a legitimate option, well, now maybe NCAA isn't a monopoly when it comes to college um, uh, football or basketball. Think about it when it comes to baseball. Clearly, right. the NCAA is not a monopoly when it comes to that level of, of yep. right? Because you can just go join the um, the major league and play in the minor league system for, for five, six years, whatever, right? There's, a, a there's lot an of alternative there. Right. There is not really an alternative when it comes to football. In fact, nope. football is really harsh. You have to be three years out from high school before you're even eligible for the draft, and there is no viable alternative. I just wonder, as we're looking at the future of, of collegiate amateurism sports, if it's not going to be dictated by this idea that is there is there is the NCAA a true monopoly or all their mm-hmm. alternatives? If it is a true monopoly and these kids don't have a choice, then I see amateurism is going to fall way to to um, this monopolistic power. But as long as they have mm-hmm. choices, then sure, if you want to play in the collegiate system, play in the collegiate system, you're not going to get paid. If you don't like that, then go play in the D-League somewhere else. Right. But I also think the NCAA needs to revamp the rules about how they're doing it because it's a, it's a billion-dollar business. 
right? This idea that there's somehow some like nonprofit organization that is really helping all of these kids reach their goal. No, man, they are, they are stuffing their pockets. They are, they are lining whatever lining they need to do off the backs of these kids that only see a sport as a way out because most, and I, and I think there was like a 2022 study or 2020 study about the number of college athletes um, that come from mid to lower socioeconomic class right. and lower depressed socioeconomic areas, like this is their way out. And so like they, by not paying them and tearing an ACL, the kid's career is over. And that's where the monopolistic power comes to play is because if right. these kids had a choice, Oh, no, I, I don't have to play at KU or I don't have to play at Arizona State University. I could go join the D-League somewhere else. So there, if there were right. choices, then I think amateurism might be a valid, legitimate uh, business model. If, if right. indeed these guys had choices like you, you probably could go work for some other place doing what you do for True. free, but you have choices. So you're not right. going to There's do other that. universities, right? I can go right. do what I do at five other universities right off the top of my head. Yeah. So uh, again, this is gonna be. I I also think yeah. my last thought here, and then we're gonna move on to another topic. I I also think that um the the, the one of the things going forward with uh, from this, and I momentarily lost my train of thought. So we might have to pass Ooh. on that one. I will come back to it later. I feel that because I have no idea what I was just going to say. <laughs> All right. I feel that I've been there. Let's move on now. Lamar Jackson. The other sports oh, item uh, to talk about. We know. I know we talked about him last week with his football contract. There is new development here. He has asked for a trade from the um, Baltimore Ravens, saying that um, you know they he, don't value him. They don't value his worth. They don't value his. Yeah. I, Chris, and I my, know we we the oh, Mar agent. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Get an agent. Get an agent. That's that's why you hire lawyers. Fish get caught by the mouth, right? If he's there on Twitter, which is where I read his statement, I don't know where you read his statement. It could have been somewhere else. I was on Twitter, um, and he wrote this paragraph about how the Baltimore Ravens don't love me no more. And I'm like, no one cares. No one cares that the Baltimore Ravens do not like you. This is a business, and in business, people aren't going to like you. Here's the problem with Lamar Jackson. He overvalues him, his oh my worth. Gosh, yes. he, he thinks that he deserves some kind of major monstrous contract that's fully guaranteed, and the Baltimore Ravens are saying, no, we don't think so. We're not going to pay you that amount of money. And, and so they're looking at, oh, um, um, Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed contract from the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, but that was a different situation. That was because of his the criminal, the legal matter, and Cleveland had to give him guaranteed money or else the fan base might have said, you need to cut this player the first chance you get. Right. Now they can't say that because Cleveland could respond with, oh, no, we can't because it's all fully guaranteed and that would cause yep. us to go under. And so I think they that's a different, that's a one-off situation why mm -hmm. they gave Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed contract. I Which feel convinced dumb. they did that just to avoid the media pressure to cut him the first time someone picketed or boycotted their games. All right. right. The second thing is he's a, um, he's a running quarterback and in the mm -hmm. NFL, you get dinged up as a yep. running quarterback. Just this last week, Ezekiel Elliott was cut by the Dallas Cowboys because he's used up as a running back. 
Right. Yeah, these guys hit. These guys are big boys on the defensive line, the linebackers. And if you are a running quarterback, your shelf life is not going to be that long as an NFL quarterback. So to the extent he is known as a running quarterback, he's not the kind of quarterback you want to give guaranteed money to. Nope, right, not crazy. even a little bit. So here's what happened. Uh, the, right. and we already talked about this before, but this is why I think this is relevant to this recent update. Is he he was uh, given a a non exclusive tag, a franchise tag? What does that mean? Yep. He is allowed to go negotiate with other teams. Now, when they did that, when they put the non exclusive franchise tag on him. I thought that was brilliant because now that it took them move. out of the picture of being the bad guy saying, we don't think you're worth this. It's like, no, no, Lamar, you go out there. You get any deal you yeah. want. Anybody. Anybody. Negotiate. If you give a guaranteed contract, have, have them give you up. a guaranteed contract. Doors open, right. buddy. Anybody, we, we would gladly send you away. Have a great life. Or I think maybe they're being honest and saying, if we are the bad apples here and all of a sudden all these other teams are offering to give you guaranteed contracts, right. then maybe we, our eyes will be open and say, yeah, we didn't see the situation the right way, so we will now give you guaranteed contract. Either way, I think how it's, it's playing crazy. out is no one's giving him this money. And no. so now he's just kind of stuck. You know where I'd like to see Lamar next year? Where? I'd like to see him as a running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> That would be a hot, that would be nice. Not gonna happen. That would no, be nice. Not, but I, I, that would be an insane move. And maybe not even for Kansas City, right? But just Lamar just transition into full running back, and backs up somebody like if Lamar goes and backs up Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay, right? Or Geno Smith in Seattle, right? Fascinating. I don't think I. I know no. it's like. I know it's out of left field for me to be like Lamar should should transition into full running back instead of running quarterback, and then think about if if a team could convince him to do that, right? If a team could convince Lamar to be to to switch to the full running back position, they'd get more playing time. They could pay him a good salary, the whole nine yards. But then think about like the trick plays you could run. Like the defenses would need to be on their toes because at any moment. Lamar Jackson could be handed the ball and then rifle it over to Travis Kelsey. And Chris, or, that probably would singly, single-handedly be the worst financial advice you have ever given anyone. I, and now I'm wondering, uh, are you he like doesn't a have cryptocurrency an advisor? Look, look, bro. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's getting a quarterback deal anytime soon. Oh, he, oh, he is. He'll get a quarterback deal. It's just not going to be guaranteed. He needs to right. wake up and smell the coffee and take right. one of these non-guaranteed deals. I mean, he's, they're offering him hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just not going to be fully guaranteed, which yeah. is the market right now. And if you're going to break the market, it's not going to be a running quarterback who has a history no. of injuries who's going to no, break gonna that be, market. No, it's going to be a Pat Mahomes that's going to break the market. Yeah, someone who just sits back and passes the ball because they yeah. know not to get hit. Right. So, yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying, you heard it here first. Lamar Jackson running back <laughs> and we'll get your views on cryptocurrency investment strategies next week in Me and Kim Kardashian. financial advice by Christopher Moreau. Just saying, man, just saying there we go. All right. Well, him um, and Zeke and like a package deal, right? How, come on. I'm here for the XFL XFL. Pick me up. Come on. We'll do this. I, I do like the XFL. One of these days when you do a podcast, I have watched some XFL games. I've kind of gotten into the uh, the strategy. Now I have two, no, I'm going to say two local teams, but Orlando has a team. 
and St. Louis has a team, and I'm, nice. I'm kind of into it. I, I, it does. It's a little bit of my football fix. I hope it catches on. Uh, one of these days, we need to do a podcast on the USFL and why why the USFL failed. Did you know, Chris, that the USFL was not a foregone conclusion as being a failure? It actually was gaining steam. It was doing well. They got TV contracts. And do you know what doomed the USFL? This is historical. You can look it up and read it and verify that I'm telling you the truth. Donald, Donald Trump, Trump did. Bob. Yeah. He, did. he had a business strategy to, to jettison and torpedo the USFL so maybe the NFL would want to merge with it and add those teams. And it did not play out that way. Instead, the league just kind of went away and they won a antitrust lawsuit against the NFL for the tune of $1. That's what the jury awarded. But hold on, you get treble damages there with the antitrust violation. They tripled it to three. Uh, and so there is your- But you know who got paid? Who? The lawyers. Because in an antitrust case, even if you get $1 awarded, the losing party has to pay attorney's fees. There you go. And rightfully so. I would not want the lawyers to go hungry. Of course. That's, that's, we can't no. let the lawyers go hungry. That would just be un uncivilized. Here's the deal. If lawyers did go hungry and had to start doing some commercials for the poor, lonely, starving lawyer, uh -huh. no one's going to care. They're going to applaud that. That is not nope. going to garner sympathy, and it will be probably the worst GoFundMe page in the history of GoFundMe. So. For sure. All right, Chris. Well, you know what you... Shakespeare said, right? When you conquer a civilization, the first thing you do is kill all the lawyers. And why is that? For comedic value, because that's what Absolutely. everyone wants. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, good old Billy. Come on, really? They've been Henry making D. fun of lawyers for hundreds of years. I have no idea why There's that is. There's a lot is. of material there. There's a ton of Seriously, material. Seriously, why, why do they love to make fun of lawyers for centuries? I don't yeah. get it. I mean, uh, we... I mean, we could go. It's Easter, man. We could talk about how lawyers killed Jesus. Like, if you want to go that direction. Oh, we will. We will. I mean, we have an Easter show coming up here pretty soon. So we got to bring up the, the, the trial of Christ. I'm doing a podcast tomorrow on the trials of, of Christ. And it's a fascinating story to study. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have no idea um, uh, how much I want to include in that now. Uh, <laughs> when is Easter? Easter is the 9th of April. So no we way. are two weeks out. Seriously, two weeks out. Two weeks out. Well, Crazy. I mean, we're a little over. Two, we're a little less than two weeks out. All right, I need. To, I got to start making my plans. I had no gotta idea. Got to get that honey baked ham. I'm, well, no, I was thinking the, the Cadbury eggs. Um, I got uh. to get my protein. All there right, you go. get it done. We've been talking enough. So hey, have a great week, Chris. We'll see you next week. And I would say Rock Chalk Jayhawk KU, but you know what? It's time to transition now to baseball season. San Diego State Aztecs, go go. There you go. All right, we'll talk to you later. Later. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support.